Welcome back, everyone, to the podcast. It's Andre here from Mental Health. I'm at the Mind State Society meeting with my colleague Bethan from Recovery in the Bin, and we are with Professor Peter Tyra. Uh, he is Professor of Community Psychiatry at Imperial College London, and he gave a really interesting talk today about the history um, of the Dangerous and Severe Personality Disorder Programme. Uh, Peter, you said in the, early, in the late 80s, rather, and early 90s, something needed to be done about violent people with severe mental illness, but no one in a position of political power wanted to take responsibility. What happened? Well, what happened was that there was an attempt to change the Mental Health Act in the hope that they could include dangerous and severe people there. For one reason or another, that was never pursued, and so that they thought they had to go ahead with a programme that meant that people who hadn't been convicted could be detained but they were not being detained because, uh, just because they were dangerous. They were dangerous and had mental health problems. Therefore, if you detained them and gave them treatment, you could justify their detention. This eventually came out as a bill, the Dangerous and Severe Personality Disorder Bill, which no one really wanted to take um, responsibility for. I called it the Jack Straw Syndrome because Jack Straw seemed to be in the firing line, but really... Nobody was all that, um, well, I would say, interested. I think everyone felt it was a hot potato and didn't want to take it on. And I think because of that, it was never properly researched and invested in as a political matter. And uh, as I mentioned in my talk, it was dealt with very effectively in Scotland because they said, if you're dangerous highly dangerous, you need to be locked up. Never mind about the treatment and the other aspects of it. If you're dangerous and a risk to society, you need to be locked up. And obviously it was changed to some extent, but that was the basic tenet behind it. For some reason, which I can never quite understand, is that the Labour government at that side decided that there probably was a good treatment available, and if it wasn't for these psychiatrists not looking after these patients properly, we would have found it by now. But, of course, there was no evidence anywhere in the world that there was a successful treatment for the most dangerous people with personality disorder. How and why did a criteria for dangerous and severe personality get developed? The criteria were developed really along the lines of literally looking at what the words meant. So in the case of dangerous, dangerousness, this was... Um, looked at as a matter of risk. If there was a very high risk that you would be violent uh, to someone, uh, even to the extent of homicide, this meant you were very high risk. If you were not, you had, you had low risk. And there was a strong belief, again, held by some people, but clearly shown then and subsequently to be in error, that you could measure risk accurately. And if, you, in fact, you measured risk accurately, you could say ah, this person is dangerous because they've got high risk. And the second part was, of course, the severe personality disorder. And personality disorder at that time was a rather loosely defined term, and severity was never mentioned. It is being mentioned now because it's in the new ICD-11 classification of personality disorder, but at that time, no one knew what severe personality disorder was, and so they had to look around for different ways of measuring something called severe personality disorder and picked on various measures of what basically measures psychopathy, which is 
uh, a useful concept, but it's not all that helpful and it's not in any form of classification. And this is all in the context of a number of highly reported cases of people with severe mental illnesses who had committed homicides in a, a, a political climate where the government felt they needed to do something about this. Um, I wanted to ask you, are there, are there, is there evidence that there are safe and effective ways of helping people with severe uh, personality disorders? Well, as I mentioned in my talk, at the most severe level, and I'm, uh, I'm talking hypothetically to some extent now because our new classification hasn't come out formally yet, but I've been using it for years, uh, that I haven't in my, my work, research work, and my clinical work found that any good evidence that the most severe people with personality disorder respond to treatment. Now, that's a very... Um, bold statement to make at this time uh, but this applies only in my view to a very very small number of people if you take it in the country it's certainly in the hundreds only uh, but in the case of people with less severe we have a lot of treatments unfortunately uh, because our classification system hasn't been very helpful almost all these treatments have been funneled into what is called emotionally unstable or borderline personality disorder, which I emphasise at the talk will no longer exist after 2022 in the, in the form of classification, although people can obviously use it because they need to maintain links with the old. But borderline personality disorder, people, which I don't think is fundamentally a personality disorder, I think it's a disorder of emotional dysregulation, and I think it's should be properly thought of as that and it's also connected to trauma which a lot of other personality disorders aren't but uh, my feeling is that um, most personality disorders can be helped in the case of borderline they have been helped by a, a range of psychological treatments they're not helped to our knowledge in its present state by any drug treatment but they're helped by various forms of psychological treatment but the fundamental element of treatment which is successful is the relationship between the patient, the sufferer, the victim, however you look at them, and the doctor, therapist, counsellor, whoever it is. And that is the that, that is a central part of good treatment of personality disorder. And we often forget that and by people think by saying by call, using a diagnosis you're impersonalizing the patient. You don't. You're actually using the diagnosis to say your problems are in this area, and you're particularly with relationships, and we've really got to look at those in our treatment. And if we do, and you maintain relationship continuity, which is continuity of care in the old language, you do well. I think one of the worrying things I found in our research is often people say the person who's helped the most is the GP, because they're the only person that they've had regular contact with. When people go off for specialised care for a short time or a long time, it's only for a limited period. Often people need that care over a longer time period and in order to do well when they've got personality disorder. Well, we've had a little discussion before, haven't we? So um, I'm part of Recovery in the Bin and, um, and the Survivor Movement and a lot of people have been upset by 
the new proposed changes in the ICD-11 because it will broaden the amount of people who are going to be diagnosed with personality disorder. So I just want to know what you would say to those people because they're worried about the treatment that they're going to receive because a lot of people with borderline personality disorders specifically are stigmatised and um, don't get the care that they need. We know quite a few people who have died. What would you say to those people um, who are worried about the expansion of the criteria? The expansion of the criteria only leads to an increase of about 5 to 7% from the evidence we've got so far. And that doesn't, this applies to, it's important to realise that borderline personality disorder as it currently stands only accounts for about 20% of people with personality disorder. One in 10 of the whole population, according to research criteria which are done independently using standard approaches, has a personality disorder. Now you can complain that's make that may be regarded as too liberal but the fact is these people have more psychiatric care they have more contact with GPs they have more um, health service contacts of all sort than those who haven't got personality disorder so however you what you call them uh, and in my case most of my research is with people with anxious and depressed um, conditions and they have a, a lot of uh, depressive anxious personalities that those people have to be considered when we consider treatment. I think at the moment we actually do those people a disservice because we actually treat them for their anxiety and their depression. We never consider their personalities, this is currently, and in fact if we did we wouldn't have over-treatment of anxiety and depression and people being labelled as chronic or uh, resistant to treatment and having more and more powerful drugs and so on, when in fact often more appropriate treatments can be given if we recognise that one of the reasons why they're getting recurrent anxiety and depression is their personalities. Are we not, though, just pathologising normal human experience if you say that one in ten people in the population have a disordered personality? Well, I'm not pathologising them in the sense that the interesting thing is that people don't, in the case of personality disorder, because we, we haven't... Um, uh, for, for this large group with it, because we haven't got a sort of set of standard treatments, the treatments we have available tend to be rather complicated and longer term and more suitable for people with the more severe end of the spectrum. But because, in fact, we have no sort of accepted treatments, we aren't pathologising it. What we're doing is recognising it. So every patient I've seen for the last 40 years, I've said to them in the course of the interview, now... I want to look at your personality now, and it seems to me that there are some aspects of your personality that lead, to you, lead you to having problems with others. My impression from talking to you, I've only been seeing you for the first time, is that this, that you have a, a problem with authority figures and you tend to go and fire off at them. And you, I think this is one of the problems you have with your personality and it makes you feel uh, misunderstood and you get annoyed. Is that a fair statement? And they say... Well, I'm amazed you could say that, Doctor, you've got it right. Or sometimes they say, no, it's absolutely nothing of the sort. At least we have a debate about it. What we do as doctors now is scared stiff about mentioning personality disorder at all. And we only mention it when we're at um, sort of Christmas parties and say, don't you think Dr. So-and-so's got a personality disorder? You're an expert on the subject. That's the sort of way in which we use the term now. We stigmatise it, and doctors stigmatise it, more than any, but, but, but I agree, not to stigmatise it, the population stigmatise it. I think 
the argument that we've all got some personality disturbance is the best destigmatizer on the planet. If we've all got some personality disturbance, then we can't stigmatize it. I'm a clinician as well, so I understand you want this diagnosis so you can identify people who may benefit from treatment. And on the other hand, then, you've got service and I'm part of the service user community, and I can count multiple people who have died because they've been turned away because they've been told that they're attention-seeking and treatment for borderline personality disorder um, shouldn't involve being an inpatient, so they've been turned away and they've died by suicide. And Inquest have highlighted this, so they look, they've looked at lots of deaths of women in particular who have U- EUPD and borderline personality disorder. So I can understand your argument, but I can also understand the lived experience, and, and it, it, it's just hard to reconcile them. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Um, and I feel for all my, colleague, my, my colleagues as service users who are, who are currently suffering, and many of them might be angry that I'm speaking to you today, but I wanted to speak to you at the invite of Andre just... Um, to have opt- I, I believe in dialogue and, and listening to people and I think um, I've heard things that I didn't know you would say to me and that, that's interested me well, well I, I'm still seeing patients I mean I saw someone who almost killed themselves seven months ago uh, and he'd been diagnosed as having emotionally unstable personality disorder uh, and he was going to be uh, after he'd been assessed he was going to go away he was going to have a long waiting period and then he was going away and have his treatment. Well, in my view, we, we've treated him perfectly. So the main problem was that, that he, his relationship with his current partner had, had completely broken down, but in fact she was controlling him and he hadn't got the courage to be able to break off from her. And in fact, when we actually tackled that, and which I said was partly a personality problem, but it wasn't the only thing, but that was the reason he was being so suicidal. When we tackled that... He didn't need any care. He, he cancelled his appointment with his special treatment. Uh, what I think is the real problem with people you're talking about is what I said at the beginning here. There's a, the relationship between an individual, a therapist and the patient is the most important thing here. What is really unsatisfactory about having, I think, like a, a borderline pathway, as they've got now in many places, is that you go and you, you get referred to one a- agent after another after another, and you don't actually develop this single relationship with your therapist. Now, obviously, the, th- the relationship with a single therapist can go wrong, but in fact, uh, uh, and but, but that is quite important. I, I left my last job, I left it because a person with antisocial personality disorder was they discharged him, the team did, without my approval, even though I was a consultant in the team, without any aftercare. And I said, well, I'm going to resign this post and I'm going to continue it. This was 14 years ago. I'm still seeing this patient who has got antisocial. He's got it very difficult. He's always threatening people. But in fact, we're keeping him alive and we're also improving his life in various ways. We're even dealing with his, his universal credit at the moment. So what I'm, what I'm concerned about is that so many of these new services, they break up continuity of care and people don't I mean it's quite interesting what David Gilbert was saying earlier on the actual relationship with a few important individuals they need necessarily be major therapists but it's actually so important and it's very important in in people with personality disorder as you you say feel feel rejected and externalized and generally discarded so I think what I'm 
I, I, we've just had this meeting at the Royal College which has produced a position statement on it, and they emphasise the importance of what they call relational continuity. But this is a very difficult thing to arrange when you have systems which have people moving from one place to another. Um, but the, on the general point is they won't need the diagnosis of emotionally unstable personality disorder anymore or the borderline. Now, obviously the behaviour is going to continue, but they say, look, well, it looks as though your behaviour comes under the heading of mild personality disorder. We have other ways of describing it, like you've got, under not very good terms, psychiatrically, they're called, you've got disinhibition and negative affectivity. You, 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 you feel very angry and you, you fire off too quickly. Um, th this is this is how we're going to deal with this type of problem. This is how this is the way which we want to work out a way of dealing with this. It's a it's a, a, a contract between people uh, who are working together, and we have to also accept that people with personality. I mean, everyone says like this, but people with personality disorder are incredibly diverse, and having a single type of treatment for them or a single policy is not appropriate. We need to have a whole range of options. Uh, and I'm not sure if you know, but this um, position paper that was introduced by the Royal College of Psychiatrists last week, they, 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 um, that was accompanied by a paper which showed that 84% of the country has a personality disorder service. It's the only country in the world which has one. So um, what we've really got to do is to build up those services so that in fact we have them properly informed at the moment often a man and his dog and it's not working too well uh, and I think this is where your 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 organisation can help uh, and has helped already because they can be part uh, they can be part of that service um, but we can't avoid using the term personality disorder or something similar to it uh, because it, it, it does cover a reasonable range of the population. You, it's the worst possible disorder to give a single label to because it's so complicated. But if we look at that's why I think a spectrum is a good way of looking at it. The other way, uh, which we found useful in practice, is that if in fact you, you diagnose it like that, you could say to someone, well, you qualify now for mild personality disorder. Two months ago, you were qualified for moderate you you're on the way you're on the way to leaving the label <laughs> so it uh, so it it can be a way of monitoring changes in in progress as well so i i think and i i do um, recognize the, the concern over it but i i i really will be emphasizing that i'm going to continue plugging this point because really the people who gain most from it are going to be the people with personality disorder they're the people who are going to be gained most of it because they, in fact, are going to, when we've got this properly sorted out, they're the ones who are going to feel that they recognise as having equal status with other people with mental illness. That has never been the case. That has never been the case. They've always been put in a separate axis of classification and called something different. That it has to be given in the same way as other parts of mental illness. And it also means that if you've got a mental illness and personality disorder, the mental illness will be dealt with better. That's the other aspect of it. Most people with severe personality disorder have a mental, according to the diagnostic system, have a mental illness as well. And we, do, if we just forget about the personality and just look at the mental illness, we we, we give we do them a disservice. So, for example, uh, uh, if I, I give occasionally a drug which is quite 
dangerous because you can only take certain you can't take certain foods with it and I'll only give it to people who are highly obsessional and absolutely fussed about everything they do because they I know they will not deviate from the recommendation now I wouldn't give that to someone else but I think that this is the sort of way in which we can help people with personality it is all by saying well because of your personality and whether we call it I call, I call it personality difficulty most of the time because I agree dis, calling people disorder because everything calls disorder is a bit clumsy. So because of your personality difficulty, I think I'm not going to suggest you you um, take this particular treatment. Uh, I'm going to suggest this one. But uh, what's the option? What do you think? Because they could be equally used here. What do you think about it? Uh, bearing in mind that we were, we're aware of your personality characteristics. So it's, it's a joint enterprise with the patient who actually appreciates that you're taking account of them of them as a person. And I think when people talk about holistic care, understanding your personality and any disorder associated with it is part of holistic care. <laughs>